This is the Real Estate Investing Abundance Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Allen. I know you're excited to get into today's show, but I have a very exciting announcement to share with you before moving to the show. We've just launched a complimentary and comprehensive webinar that, among other things, shows you how to legally use passive real estate investing to reduce your taxes, recession-proof your nest egg, and take the sting out of inflation. If you are curious to learn more, go to steetalker.com forward slash webinar. It is complimentary and only takes a couple of minutes of your time. Once again, that is steetalker.com forward slash webinar. I'll see you in the webinar. Enjoy today's show. Hello, enlightened investors. Welcome back to Real Estate Investing Abundance. I'm your host, Dr. Allen. So happy to be with you again today as we take a look at going from W-2 to financial freedom in the shortest amount of time possible. With us is Sam Prim, who was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. His mom was a teacher and his dad an engineer. He had a normal childhood, and his plan was to follow social norms and work for an employer his whole entire life and retire at 65 as soon as he discovered real estate investing, that all changed. He created financial freedom and has now accrued massive wealth in just a few short years. So Sam, take us into the show and share a memorable experience that helped you to be the person you are today. Hey, I appreciate you having me, Alan. Yeah, I was thinking about this ever since you asked me this question, and I have a lot of different memories pop up and kind of want to summarize them all into kind of just one one story. I think the one of the biggest things that formed me into kind of the person I am today, whether it's good or bad, I was growing up playing sports, you know, just having the competitiveness, having the teamwork aspect, the losing, the winning, the learning how to lose with grace, the, the, the learning how to win with grace. And I think there can just be so many different lessons taught um, through sports, whether it be a, a solo sport like golf, maybe or something like that, or a team sport like basketball or football. So I played pretty much all of them growing up um, all the way up into high school. I was um, offered a few scholarships to play in college, turned that down just to go to college and be a normal kid. But I think, um, you know, just in general, just I feel like growing up playing sports, you know, having the discipline, listening to coaches, being coachable and and learning about um, life through the struggles of sports with other people has had a huge impact on probably my personal life as well as my professional life um, onto my, you know, business and entrepreneurial life. So I know that hopefully that's uh, that's not a cop out answer because it's not an exact word for word story, but I think just um, the sports and kind of what that's brought out in me and how that formed me growing up, I think is probably one of the more um, impactful things that I had growing up that I'm thankful that I was able to that I was able to participate in. Well, Sam, take us into the story of how it is that you got into real estate when your plan was just to to go with the norms and retire at 65. Yeah, so my my plan was definitely just to to do, do like. Well, my parents had done my dad, like you said, was an engineer. He, you know, worked for one company, Boeing, for 38, 40 years and retired. That was kind of what I saw. And usually what you see is what you kind of naturally uh, follow. So that was my plan. I had a little bit more entrepreneurial spirit in me than my parents. So, you know, throughout high school and college, me and a buddy had a painting company where we painted exteriors of houses and decks and fences. So kind of got that entre entrepreneurial itch, then went to the real world and got a job. 
and enjoyed it okay, but wasn't quite maybe hitting that competitive side of me that I had gotten through sports growing up. Again, to bring that back full circle, as well as kind of the working for yourself, even though it was just a small painting company that we were the only two people with. So I think starting to get in the quote unquote real world and maybe not being fully fulfilled and not getting that competitive feedback that I was looking for, I uh, started to look at something to do on the side. And, and that same buddy that I, I had a painting business with and actually grew up playing sports with, we decided what's one of the best things that we can start on the side um, to maybe eventually become our own boss or just even retire a little bit better. I don't think our original plan was to quit and own $45 million worth of real estate a few years later. What was real estate? It was the lowest barrier of entry. Um, you know, there's so many different strategies you can utilize to make money in real estate. You don't need to be a super techie to develop an app. You don't need to have a ton of employees. You don't need to rent out warehouse space and factory space and, and rent out equipment or machinery. The barrier of entry is very low. And just the simple fact that I knew that a lot of people became wealthy through real estate. I don't know that I knew the 90% of millionaires are created through real estate type of, uh, type of facts back then. But in general, I knew it was a good investment to do and we could do it in our limited spare time while we had full-time jobs and we're getting ready to start families. So that was kind of honestly more of it than anything. Of course, we read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like a lot of people that kind of opened up our eyes a little bit. But in general, again, like to go back to your intro, not, not a flashy story here, no rags of riches, no, uh, you know, no Phoenix uprising story, just kind of made sense. So we started to dabble our toe in it there for a little bit. Well, take us down the story lane of how it is that you got your first first properties and how did you dip your toe into the real estate industry? Yeah, for sure. So we wanted to get into real estate. And when I say we, it's always just me and my business partner, Lucas, we own, we own everything 50-50. So we were looking at properties, you know, we, his mother-in-law or future mother-in-law um, was a real estate agent. So she was taking us to properties. This was 2014 timeframe. We were looking at a ton of different properties you know, weren't able quite uh, to get one under our belt there for a while. We probably looked at 40 different properties and, you know, we had some money from a private lender who was willing to lend us some money. Our plan was to buy the property and fix it up and sell it because I thought you had to put 20% down on rental properties. I didn't understand cash out refinances or the Burr method. Our plan was to buy rental properties, but we didn't have enough cash to put 20% down. So flip a property, take that profit and put 20% down on a rental. That was our plan. So we looked at a ton of properties and finally found one um, late in 2014 that met our criteria. Uh, we bought it for $77,000. Uh, we put a little over 20,000 into it. A lot of that work was us doing it. So it needed way more than 20 grand, but we did a lot of the work ourselves. Throughout that process of that first rehab, uh, our plan was to sell it, but we learned about the cash out refinance process and the fact that banks will give you a loan for you know up to 80% of the appraised value. So we thought this one would be perfect for that. We're we're looking to grow rentals, you know, cash is great, but we have full-time jobs. Let's let's stack a rental here. So that's what we did. So we ended up um getting that property appraised for 125,000. Uh, the bank wrote us a check for hundred grand. Uh, we paid back our private lender, and then now we own the property. And you know that was I guess and ended up spring of 2015 was the time that project was done and. Now that property is probably worth $215,000 and we probably owe $70,000 on. And it's just a great microcosm of an example of just what one property can do. That one rental property has, you know, $150,000, $160,000 in equity. And I just looked at it today, Alan, and the average 401k is like $140,000. So that one rental mm. property uh, it has already eclipsed the average 401k in just, you know, eight years. And we didn't use any of our own money to buy it. And we didn't really use any of our own money to maintain it. So just kind of shows the power of real estate and the power of just one rental property. Well, what advice do you have for others who are 
uh, wanting to get into this with, well, particularly in today's environment with housing uh, prices sky high and interest rates uh, sky high? Yeah, I would say the biggest the biggest things for anybody, I feel like no matter what the economy or market or interest rates or prices are doing, the first step, in my opinion, the first two steps are the first one is to just get a base level of knowledge. You don't have to become an expert. You're only going to learn a certain percentage of it by watching videos and, and you know, listening to podcasts and watching YouTube and, and going online and reading books. You're only going to learn a certain percentage, I would say 10 to 15 percent. The other the other 80, 85 percent of what you're going to learn is going to be actually on the job. So get a base level of knowledge so you're at least not stepping in too much um, at first. So you kind of at least know a little bit of the ropes. And then the other thing to do would be to connect with your local community. You need people in whatever community you're investing in. You need to meet other real estate investing professionals and other real estate investing uh, people they're going to help you along the way. You obviously need people to buy houses from, to sell houses to. You need contractors to work on your property. You need lenders to lend you money. You need insurance agents that understand real estate to um, you know, give you insurance on the properties. There, there's a lot of different things you need uh, to be a successful real estate investor. So making as many connections as you can while you're learning the knowledge is step one and one A, in my opinion. Just getting those relationships built. Now, there's plenty of people that I work with still that I worked with that first year or two investing, you know, so, you know, seven years later, I'm still working with several of the people that I worked on my first few projects with, and we have a really good team and, and really good lenders that we still work with as well. So starting to develop that team, starting to make connections while you're learning is the biggest thing. And then obviously going out and taking action. And, and today's market's a little bit tougher than it was in 2014 and 15. Like you mentioned, uh, rates were pretty good back then and housing was just kind of rebounding from 08. Uh, it was just kind of on the upward trend. So Things were a little bit easier then, but now I feel like it's still possible. You just see a lot of negativity online and a lot of fear mongering, but it's still possible to buy properties. It's still possible to rent properties. We're we're by we bought 312 houses last year, my flipping company. So we're you know, you're still able to do it. And we're adding rentals still to this day. It's just it's just a little bit more challenging. But I don't think that people understand that from 2020 till till about 2022, that's not normal. The, that two-year period of house prices, uh, house prices skyrocketing, interest rates super low. You can buy a property and make 25 different mistakes and still profit huge. Like, like that's not normal. So we're getting back to just a little more normalcy, in my opinions. You have to stick to the fundamentals. You have to be tied on your budget. You have to be quick. And if you do all those things, you can still make money and still profit. It's just, it's just not as easy as it was in the near future or the near past. But you know, going back to when I started, uh, maybe a little bit more cyclical than it than it has been recently. Well, how can a beginner get into the business in today's market? Yeah, I think that the first thing to kind of piggybacking off of the, the last answer is go to join your local real estate investing meetup groups. Almost every decent sized city has one. Um, you know, you can find them by going to meetup.com or just going to the real estate investing Facebook groups. Um, there's a ton of those Facebook groups. They've really kind of blown up and then kind of cooled off a little bit, but they're out there. Every every decent sized city has one or you have one within, within an hour of where you live, most likely if you're listening to this. So get involved in that local community. Go to a meetup where you're going to meet. You know, ours is tonight, actually. It starts in what? Starts in about six hours. So yeah, about 
about four hours our starts tonight. We have 250, 300 people here in St. Louis come every single month. Um, there's, you know, there's people that have owned millions in real estate. There's people that don't even really know what ARV stands for or what, you know, a, a wholesale is. So there's a complete range of people. There's 40 to 50 wholesalers that come every time. There's hard money lenders, private money lenders. So all those people that you need to meet, that you need to get in your Rolodex to be successful, go to your local meetup. So go to your local meetup, even if you're an introvert, you you don't have to go talk to everybody. You don't have to get on stage and give a speech. Just go talk to people and ease your way into it. However, that is for you, whatever you're comfortable with, go start to make those connections. And then again, you can do it virtually on those Facebook groups. Now, those are a little bit more spammy, let's say, to say it nicely, but there are still good investors that hang out in those Facebook groups that you can make connections with. And if you're getting ready to do a project, you need a plumber, you can simply type in a, Facebook, a real estate investing Facebook group. Hey, I have a rehab in this zip code. I'm looking for a good plumber. Who do you know? And you will get good referrals or at least some referrals through then. Few of them are probably good. So again, just doubling down on connecting, utilizing technology and utilizing the resources that are in your market because they're all out there. Real estate, The real estate investing industry isn't as big as most people think. And most people in the real estate investing space are willing to help, whether it be vanity, whether it be they think they'll be able to do a deal with you in the future or just charity, but they're willing to help for the most part. There's at least um, a handful of people you'll connect with at these meetups and in these groups that are willing to give you free advice and help you. Enlightened investors, if you haven't done so already, be sure and click that like button and also click that share so others can take advantage of the content. And finally, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single one of our upcoming episodes. Well, what are you expecting for the housing market throughout the rest of 2023 and on into 2024? I wish I knew for sure, Al. And that'd be great. If I had a crystal ball, I'd be making, I'd be, I'd be taking this, uh, this uh, call on the jet, on my private jet uh, through Wi-Fi. But I think um, I, I have some thoughts. I think in general, the market's going to remain pretty strong. I mean, when I started, like we mentioned back in 2014, 2015 timeframe, um, we started, we did some flips as well back then, and it was pretty standard. Price your house to sell in 30 to 40 days, two, three weeks in, you're going to do a $5,000 um, price drop. You just do those until you sell it. And you know, it takes a month-ish to sell every single house. That was pretty normal. That was when supply and demand were, were pretty even. Well, the fact is supply is so low because from 2008 to 2018, we just did not build enough houses in this country. The fact that supply is so low, I don't really see the market tanking. I know it's dipped a little bit in some areas, but here in St. Louis, every house that we list, which we list four or five a month, every single house that we rehab and list is selling for asking or over still on opening weekend. I think eight of the last 10 we've sold have gone for asking or over. So as long as you put out a good product and price it right, the supply is so low that the market is still remaining pretty strong. I know and interest rates have also gone up pretty pretty substantially both on the you know the residential 30 mortgage side as well as the Fed's fund rate side. So mm -hmm. um interest rates have gone up substantially and and the market hasn't cooled off too much. Of course some areas it's softened but if you're looking back for 2016, 17, if interest rates did what they did um, recently, I feel like we would be in a global crisis right now. But the fact that the supply is so low and that, in my opinion, that's the driving factor of the strength of the real estate market. Um, it's definitely taken some some nicks and some dings in certain areas and certain you know cities and states. But overall, the market remains pretty strong. Mm -hmm. And I, I expect that to continue. If anything, I expect us just to get into a little more cyclical of a market where prices drop five or 10% in the fall and winter, and then they pick up you know five to 10% in the spring and summer, get a little more of those waves that I, I was used to seeing when I started looking at, at market data. Yeah, there there just hasn't been 
enough construction, but also in conjunction with it is also the the high interest rates. There are about uh, about ninety percent of of homeowners who have a mortgage are holding those mortgages at less than four percent, and so they're not at all interested in selling their homes to go out and purchase a home where they're going to be paying six seven or uh, or percent. And so uh, people people point. aren't putting their homes on the market, and there's no new homes coming on the market, and so the shortage is incredible. So well, I don't know the where it's going to go. The it's thus far we haven't seen a whole lot of unemployment, and so people still are do have the money uh, if they can find a home to purchase, and so uh, we're seeing that really nationwide. The other factor there is, of course, the bank failures. And we've had, what, four bank failures in the last uh, three months here. And that may continue. Um, What that's going to do, who knows? Because in 2008, the foreshadow of the 2008 crash was the fact that banks were, uh, were crashing as well throughout 2007. But there was not the 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 market was much more balanced uh, in 2008. And so it's it's going to be difficult to tell what is going to happen here in terms of the market. So you have any other thoughts on that? Or? Yeah, a um, couple of thoughts on that. One, just I want to put an example out there. So I just did a piece of content on just the supply issue. So I took my, my home county, St. Charles County. There's 165,000 houses in St. Charles County. And right now there are 600 houses for sale in St. Charles County. And about 25% of them are to be built by builders that are trying to build and catch up. So, you know, I don't know the exact math, but there's, you know, less than 500 houses for sale and there's 165,000 houses in in the county. And in general, I think uh, the stat was, you know, seven or 8% of people move a year. So you can do the math. We don't need to go get a calculator out of abacus or anything, but a lot of people that are going to be looking to move and there's not enough houses out there. So the fact that every house has 20, 30, 40, 50 people interested in it, somebody in that buyer pool is going to have cash or just sold the house or be able to not worry about those interest rates. So I think that just drives home the point of interest rates, um, you know, they, they matter, they for sure do. But the um, the, the main um, factor is in the strength, in my opinion, like we're both saying is the supply, yeah. you know, obviously, if interest rates get to 20% or something crazy, that that will have a different conversation. But in general, I think they can get get pretty decent, uh, decently up there. And, and people still have to move life still happens, even in I built my first house, personal house in 2011, and they were still building then I know that was kind of the bottom, but people still need to move life still happens. So um, I think that's a big part of it. And then so as the bank failures go, I think you've made a, a ton of great points comparing it to 08. And and banks do fail, though. I understand that the, there, there are big banks that have failed recently, so that's new. But doing some some research, you know, back in 2007, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, I mean, hundreds of banks were failing. And I get, you know, they were smaller, not as not as big dollar banks, but but banks do fail. And I know that's not, I'm not saying it's not a big deal and swiping it under the rug, but it's not like banks have never failed before. That, uh, that in itself doesn't necessarily mean 
Great Depression again. So, you know, it's, it's not ideal, but that does happen. And that's just mainly banks that have over leveraged themselves, um, you know, by by buying, uh, you know, bonds or, or whatever. And then, then the interest rate goes up, which devalues their bonds and they can't get out and get enough cash out. So there's uh, there's a ton behind that. But in general, a few bank failures isn't the end of the world. Now, if this continues, that that might not be ideal. But um, as we can see, the, the banking industry as a whole is seeming to hold on. We're not seeing a banking failure every other week like we were back in eight, nine, 10, and 11. Well, just last week, I was looking at some properties here in the county in which I live, and the cheapest properties were running, were going for about 240000 And this was, these were properties like one of them was a, a home that had been totally and completely burnt out, and they had gutted the whole building. And this was like a three-bedroom, two-bath house, and it's going for two hundred forty thousand, and it's a totally gutted house. Two years ago, uh, that house would have going been going for something like sixty-seven thousand. So astronomical price increases, at least here in our county, over the last uh, couple of years here. Well, Sam, tell our viewers and listeners what you offer them and how they can take advantage of that. Yeah, I think the biggest thing I'd like your your viewers and listeners to take uh, take from this is just follow me on, on social media. I'm like we talked about, pr- pretty normal dude uh, from grew up in the mid- smack dab in the middle of the country, smack dab in the middle of the middle class, and been able to buy forty five million dollars worth of real estate over the past few years without using any of my own money, and you know have somehow you know been able to get uh, two point two million followers on social media, and that's because I give away so much free, actionable, normal guy, normal gal advice. I'm not you know flexing in front of a Lamborghini or anything like that. I'm just here to teach you how to do what I've done. So I'm kind of laying the ground work for you and telling you what I've done that works and what hasn't worked. So that'd be first and foremost, uh, at Sam Faster Freedom, just follow me whatever platform you're on. Um, I have a, a podcast called The Faster Freedom Show. So check that out as well. Me and my business partner, Lucas, that's the only content we shoot together is on that show. So that's fun. And then I do have a mentorship. Um, I launched it about a year and a half ago. We have 1100 students that uh, have now bought over 200 million in real estate. So if you're looking for that next level handholding, I do have that with the mentorship, but I know that's a limited um, you know, number of of people, most people just kind of want to get their feet wet and learn and listen and watch. So you can definitely take advantage of that by all the free stuff I put out on social media. So I'd start with that and check me out. And if you're interested further, you'll see me talking about my mentorship or my free trainings every once in a while, and you can kind of take it from there. So I just would start out with following me on socials. And all that information is, of course, in our show notes. Sam, before we go here, tell us about one of your major setbacks and how did you come through that time and what did you learn from that yeah we've had we've had plenty of plenty of setbacks for sure i would say one of the biggest ones or at least it felt like the biggest ones at the time uh at the beginning of my investing career i probably had seven or eight rental properties and and i bought a package of three houses one really nice house that i really liked wanted to flip and keep it as a rental and two tenant occupied rental properties in a little bit rougher areas than i was comfortable with and am even comfortable with today. So we really liked one. So we bought all three and then we ended up rehabbing the one and kind of trying to spruce up the other two that were tenant occupied. And we went to get them refinanced, you know, through the, the Burr method. And um, the one that we really liked did well, it appraised out and the other two appraised for less than we bought them for. So this was uh, you know, back in probably 2016 timeframe. And we had to bring about $30,000 to the table to make the deal whole. And we didn't have it. 
Uh, so that was, you know, a pretty trying time. You know, it seems like the end, looking back, you know, it's not the, that big a deal, but at the time things feel a lot bigger than they are. Right. So we ended up um, getting creative. We ended up selling the one, not keeping as a rental and, and taking a chunk out of that $30,000. And then we sold the other one to get out of it. And then we ended up keeping the one, you know, one of the rough ones we didn't really like, but we ended up keeping it. And we just pulled a little bit of equity out of one of our other rental properties. So not to get too technical in the solution, but the solution basically was taking a deep breath um, and then just building the relationships and leaning on banks and lenders and people to try to come up with creative solutions. Because that's one of the beautiful things about real estate. There are so many different opportunities and options. You have control of your asset and your investment. You can control to refinance, to sell, which tenants to put in, all the all those things. So just it was just, it was just a good example of holy crap I'm giving up on real estate uh, we squeaked out and made this one made this one work now let's not make that mistake again kind of thing and I think that's a pretty common theme for a lot of real estate investors there's failures there's screw-ups you know the path to success is full of failures if you're not failing you're not going to be successful I'm confident in saying that so failure is okay just learn from it and uh, real estate's a beautiful thing it allows you to be, get creative and, and kind of take side steps and pivots that most investments don't that is for sure if you're not failing you're probably not doing much. Mm -hmm. So that is just a part of life and the way that we learn. Well, Sam, it's been a pleasure having you today. Thank you for sharing with us and we wish you the best. Appreciate it, Alan. Thank you. Enlightened investors. Wait, wait, don't go just yet. I just want to remind you about our recently launched webinar that you will not want to miss. If you're at all curious and would like to learn more about how real estate investing can diversify your investment portfolio, alleviate the anxiety associated with Wall Street swings, leverage your 401ks and IRAs to substantially increase the return on your investment, and do all of this with turnkey, hands-off, passive real estate investments, then you'll want to immediately go to stetalker.com forward slash webinar. In the webinar, we'll also address the common dubious investment schemes that you want to avoid. To access the webinar, go to stetalker.com forward slash webinar. I look forward to seeing you in the webinar. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance brought to you by Steve Talker Capital a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at stevetalker.com.